Who here has ever had a hard time with delegation? Entrusting a task or responsibility to someone else? I do sometimes. Someone else is responsible to do something, but then I go ahead and step in and just do it myself. I've been on the other end of it too. You know, like you actually do the work and then how frustrating it is to then find out you didn't need to waste that time, that they're going to do it anyway. I'm sure most of you can relate to that, whether it's happened at work, at home, or at school. But why does this happen? Why do we step in and do what another is responsible for? I think there are a couple reasons for it. One, we don't trust that they'll actually do it. And depending on the person, this may be very valid. <laughs> you might have experienced it in the past. The other is that uh, we don't think that they'll do it the right way, which usually means they won't do it my way. Right? We want control, and we want things the way that we want things. The truth is, we don't only do it with each other, we do this with God as well. Don't we? We don't really trust that God will actually give us what we need. Whether that's actually meeting our needs or thinking we need things that we really just want. We don't trust him, so we take care of it ourselves. So we take it ourselves. But God, in his goodness, knowing our fallen nature and our propensity towards this, desires to prove his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his goodness and provision to us. And so he gives us a command that we might demonstrate our trust in him. So let's look at this command together from Deuteronomy 5.19. And you shall not steal. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing on in our study of the Ten Commandments this morning, and we've been seeing how God's law does a couple different things for us. We talked about this with our confession of sin, too. It serves as a mirror. We hold it up to ourselves, and we see how we fall short of it, how we need forgiveness, how we need a Savior. But then it also serves as a guide. It shows us how we're to live as God's people, how we're to reflect His character into the world. This is especially in view, I think, as we think about the context of the Israelites as they're receiving the Ten Commandments. Right? They're in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, and God comes in and delivers them. He saves them from slavery, and he's bringing them to the land that he promised to Abraham centuries before. And he tells them, we talked about this, the preface to it is, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's already delivered them. So he says, here's how you live in light of it. The law doesn't establish our relationship with God. It never could. That was broken with sin. He enters in, reestablishes it, and says, here's how you can live as my people. Here's how you can be a light to the nations around. Here's how you can reflect my goodness that they might want to know me, that they might come to see me, that all the nations might be blessed through you. That's true for us today, too. The law shows us our need for our forgiveness from Christ, and it shows us how we're to live as we endeavor to follow him. 
So as we look at this command, we'll see how we can show our trust in God and reflect his character as we seek to follow this good command. So let's look at the first, first at what this command prohibits and why, and then what it commands and why. And we'll see that we're not to steal because God will give us all that we need. And then that we're to give to others because God has given to us all that we have and we are to be like him. So we start with this prohibition, the negative command, don't steal. On the face of it, we all agree, stealing's bad, right? Thanks, Abby. Right? We can't just take other people's stuff. Society doesn't function like that. It doesn't work. This command actually establishes personal property rights. Interesting that it does that. But if we're free to take whatever we want, whenever we want, society can't function, people will not flourish. Now, most of us are not in danger of being prosecuted for theft. But do we steal? Might be a harder question. There are so many ways this plays out. We're usually good on the big blatant ones. But there are a lot of other forms of theft that we're happy to let slide under the radar. We talk about workplace theft. People not working while they're being paid to work. Stealing from an employer. We fail to return things that we've borrowed. I don't know if you've ever packed up your house to move and you have the box of stuff that you're like, uh, this is mine. And yet I've had it for four years, right? We cut corners on our work. We can misrepresent or put spin on things that we're trying to sell or get people to take. If you've ever watched Chopped, you know, when they say that it's charred and it's really just burnt. You know, or it has, it has character when it's really broken. Right? We fudge on taxes. We take advantage of friendships to sell products. We sneak dogs into pet-free hotels and Airbnbs. It goes on and on, all the ways that we make representations that are untrue or not fully true to get some discount or some advantage that we wouldn't get if we were fully honest. Like any of the ways that we try to get something for nothing when it not being freely given by the rightful owner. So a good litmus test for this is, do you feel the need to justify why it's okay? It might be, but if you feel that need to justify it, you probably need to actually really consider it. Why do I feel the need to do this? What's going on in my heart? Am I trying to love God and my neighbors? Or am I just trying to get something? Five to ten years ago, many of us were fine pirating movies and music. Right? Phil Riken points out the irony of The Passion of the Christ when it came out was the most pirated movie at the time. You see the irony of this? Like Christians stealing this movie about God freely giving himself that we might for, be forgiven even for stealing this movie. <laughs> I don't know. People probably don't download movies and music anymore. We stream now. But how many of you are streaming stuff on other people's accounts so you don't have to pay for the service? Right? We've heard the jokes about Netflix. Babylon B had one. 
Netflix loses a million subscribers. Now 10 million people are wondering why their Netflix account login doesn't work anymore. <laughs> Ryan's Reynolds tweeted in a thing for Mint Mobile. He said, it's, it's like sharing a Netflix account, only legal. It's easy to justify. Everyone does it. But they've recently cracked down on this because their revenue is going down. But if we're consuming something that we're not paying for and that the rightful owner isn't giving us to use, what do we call it but stealing? And I'm not just saying this because I know a lot of you are doing it. I do know a lot of you are doing it. But I'm also confessing it. We were doing it. We lost Netflix this week. Because as I'm studying this, God's Spirit's convicting me that it's theft. It's not okay. It's easy to fall into and justify these things, especially when so many other people are doing it. And even more so when it feels like there's no victim. Right? That's our excuse. Jen Wilkin hits on this really well when she talks about how hotel rooms are very common victims of theft. I'm not talking the little travel shampoo and conditioner. I'm talking pillows, blankets, towels, everything that isn't bolted down, which, by the way, is why it's bolted down. It's not a joke. Like, that's really why it's there. Then she says, but we don't do this when we stay at a friend's house. Instead, we make the bed and we fold the towels. Why the difference? The relationship and the likelihood of getting caught. We know and are known by our friends. They know us. We care about them and know it would hurt them. We don't know the Holiday Inn. They don't know us. They probably won't notice anyway, right? But she writes, this is important for Christians to pay attention to. If we struggle to attribute property rights to a corporation or a hotel because it is disembodied, how might we struggle to attribute property rights to an invisible God? And if we mistakenly believe that an unseen God is also unseeing, how might we be tempted to trespass all manner of property rights? You know, and I'd turn it another way and say, how might we be tempted to believe that what we do have didn't come from an unseen God, but from ourselves? We're tempted to remove God from the equation completely because we get a paycheck from our, from our employer. We forget that he provided the health the skills, the opportunity, and the job so that we could do it. And we take credit for what he has done. When the truth is, he has given us everything we have. And when we can do that, it's easy to go the next step and say, I deserve all that I have, but actually I deserve more. And if they're not going to give it to me, then I'm going to figure out a way to take it. Why do we do it? For most of us in here, you're probably not tempted to steal because you might starve or die of exposure. You may. If I were preaching in other parts of the world, that would be the main theme of this sermon. 
but most likely not. But if so, when you steal at the root of it is really this lack of trust in who God is, this lack of trust in God providing for us. That he says he will do it. We're failing to see who God truly is. And we're failing to trust that he'll give us our daily bread. We saw this in our call to worship, right? From the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, don't worry about what you'll eat or what clothes you'll wear. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He'll give them to you. Instead of worrying about those things, let alone taking them, he says, seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And those things will be given as well. There is no situation in which you must steal. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, With temptation, God will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. In the words of the Rolling Stones, you might not get what you want. You get what you need. And one of the ways he does this is through his church. Actually, we may be that way of escape for you. It can be tempting to keep what many perceive as weakness to ourselves, to not admit our need, to try to be self-sufficient and not ask for help. But isn't that the whole message of Christianity? That you're not self-sufficient? That you do need help? That you can't do it on your own? You can't save yourself but there is one who will meet your needs. As you go to Christ to meet your spiritual need, maybe you need to go to his church to meet your physical need. Some are tempted to steal because they don't trust God to meet their needs. But as we're living in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, I would guess that most of us in here are tempted to steal, not because we are in need, but because we are always wanting more. We're greedy. We're selfish. We think we deserve it. Why should someone else have it and not me? Why can't I have more? Tim Keller did a series on uh, the seven deadly sins and Greed was the one that people attended the least. It's probably the one we need to hear the most. God cares about our hearts, not just our actions. And even these desires arising within us breach this command. We talked about that the last few weeks, this inside-out rule, that it's our hearts too with murder if we're hateful and angry wrongfully with others we've murdered them in our hearts if we have lusted after a woman we have committed adultery so it is with theft when we do this we're failing to trust in God's goodness to us that he will give us what is best for us even if it's maybe not what we want we think of him as withholding Why hasn't he given us more? We're like toddlers who are given a delicious, healthy, balanced meal, but they cast it aside and scream for ice cream and cookies and cake. Are the parents withholding because they have given what is good for the child and what the child actually needs? Of course not. It's loving. 
But that's often the view we have of God. So we move our food around on our plate with our fork. We wait until we think our father's back is turned. We snatch the cookies out of the cabinet, run to our room, and devour them in secret. It's not good for us. It makes us sick, and we try to hide from the presence of the one who loves us. But we often love those cookies more than our father. Paul wrote to Timothy, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The sense of greed is under so many of these temptations. We should have more. We think we deserve it. We should have it. So we take it or we extort others for it or we're dishonest in the way we represent ourselves or our work so that we can get it. We don't trust that God is truly good to us, that he's giving us what we actually need. Not what we'll have for an easy and carefree life, but so that we can be holy and like him. This temptation to steal is rooted in a misunderstanding or a wrong view of who God is. But it also expresses something toward our neighbors, those made in his image. It expresses contempt for them. This is something, again, that Jen Wilkin pointed out. Because when you steal or are thinking of stealing something from others, you're not concerned with their flourishing. You're not concerned with what is best for them. And you just think about it. Are you going to steal from someone and be praying for them? Doubt it. You're helping yourself at their expense. But God does the opposite with us. He gives of himself freely. He gives himself for us. We see this most clearly with Jesus, who says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, who died so that thieves like us might be forgiven. This brings us to the positive side of the command. We talked about this a couple weeks ago as we've been going through this. But where a sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is commanded. It's Westminster's language there. So not only are we not to steal, but we have an obligation to protect and promote and provide for the flourishing of others. Instead of taking, we are to give and provide for those in need. It's interesting that Paul puts it in Ephesians 4. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The flip side of stealing is doing the honest work. Why? Not so that you won't steal anymore. That's included. But you do it so that you can give to others. This is what happens, isn't it, when Christ comes into 
our lives when we receive him, when we trust him and what he has done for us, when he gives us his spirit who changes us to be like him, we go from this desire to take what is not ours or to keep and cling to it and accumulate what we have to wanting to bless others, to give to them. Jerry Bridges describes kind of these three attitudes we can have toward possession. He said the first is, what's yours is mine. I'll take it. That's the attitude of a thief. The next is, what's mine is mine. I'll keep it. He says this is the attitude that most people have most of the time because we're selfish. The third one is, what's mine is God's. I'll share it. That's the godly attitude. And notice the complete paradigm shift, not just in what we do, but even the way we think about our possessions. I mentioned earlier that this establishes personal property rights. Right? What we own is ours, and no one has a right to unjustly take it. But the godly attitude recognizes that everything we have is given to us by God. It comes from his good and loving hand. And while we own them, we recognize that all that we have truly belongs to him as we do we're more like stewards than owners as christians we don't possess things to use for our own ends we receive them from god to use for his glory to use according to his purposes fourth century preacher john chrysostom chrysostom means golden mouth because he was a good preacher probably get a nickname like that sometime but he preached in Constantinople a very wealthy city and he said this he said this also is theft not to share one's possessions perhaps this statement seems surprising to you but do not be surprised just as an official in the imperial treasury if he neglects to distribute where he is ordered but spends instead for his own indolence, pays the penalty, and is put to death. So also the rich man is a kind of steward of the money which is owed for the distribution of the poor. I beg you to remember this without fail, that not to share your own wealth with the poor is theft from the poor and deprivation of their means of life. We do not possess our own wealth, but theirs. controversial statement in some circles today that I just made but I think it's a biblical one but notice what is actually said the poor don't have a right to come and take it as that would be stealing the Bible doesn't advocate for this redistribution of wealth yet we have an obligation to give it as people who have been given so much it isn't to be forced But after seeing the love of God for us, how he has given all that we have and has provided so richly for our greatest need in Christ, who has given his own body and blood that we might not die, but live to righteousness. If we truly understand his love and provision for us, we will joyfully and generously give out of our abundance. But when we're trying to hold on to things for ourselves, when we're consumed with 
thoughts and desires of how to make our lives easier, more comfortable, more luxurious, then we're forgetting about God and what he has done. And we're neglecting the neighbors we are called to love. John says that if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If God's love doesn't make us loving, then we're not getting it. And what we have in this life will not last. We will not take it with us. Why would we try so hard to hold on to it? After Jesus says not to worry in the account in Luke, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You think you have stuff here and want stuff here? We're going to inherit the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where does this leave us? Look to God. That's where we need to start. If we can see God for who he is, the only one who truly loves us and gives us exactly what we need, who has given us all that we have, we will trust him to provide. We will be able to hold on to things lightly and see where he would have us use them, how he would have us share them. We won't feel the need to steal, and we will generously give to meet the needs of others. If he is our treasure... We will love what he loves and we will seek to be like him.